Okay, let's take our Bibles now and we'll open them up to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're again back in the closing section of this chapter. And we're still on the subject of Christian warfare. And we'll be here for the next several weeks as we look at uh, these different aspects of Christian warfare. And we talk about the armor of God and different things that are coming up in the next few weeks. Then when we're finished in the book of Ephesians, which I suspect probably uh, 10 or 10 or 12 weeks, something like that, we should be just about ready to finish up. And then we're not going to move very far because we're going to turn over a page and most likely start in the book of Philippians. So we're going to stay right here and do verse by verse in God's Word. But again, we're here in Ephesians chapter 6, talking about Christian warfare. The Bible, of course, teaches us that we are in a battle, a great spiritual battle. When you get saved, you don't sit down on easy street, but you're in the fight of your life. And you'll be fighting this all the time that you're in this, in this flesh. And thank the Lord that we have powerful allies that God has given us to help us. The Bible teaches us, and Paul writes about it, that our enemy is strong. He's very organized. He has a worldwide network that consists of billions of evil angels. And you could take any one of those angels and they could snap any of us just like a twig. But thank the Lord again that that's not all there is to the story because the devil has billions of evil angels, but we even have more than he has. And uh, God has them working for us and they're on our side. Tonight we're in the final lesson, part number three of the message, the resume of our enemies. And so we're talking about these powerful allies that God has given as our spiritual help. And whenever I think about uh, warfare and I think about allies... Uh, one of the things I think about is physical warfare. And, of course, that's why Paul is making this analogy for us. He, he's comparing it to physical warfare. But when we think about allies, uh, I, I think about a World War II. And when uh, our country entered into the war, uh, Europe was in the grips of a, of a powerful dictator who was just about ready to overrun the entire continent, uh, ready to conquer almost the whole of Europe. The United States was trying to stay out of the war until, of course, Japan came and dropped the bombs on Pearl Harbor. They attacked Pearl Harbor, and then that uh, brought the United States into the war. And uh, back then it was said, uh, it was lamented by our enemies that Japan had woke, woken or awakened a sleeping giant. And, of course, America proved to be the deciding factor in World War II as our industry geared up and turned into a war machine. But World War II was won on the strength of an alliance. Allies joined together and we fought a common enemy. And that's what we're doing in our spiritual battle. We are fighting a common enemy to all of us. And we have the angels of God that are helping us. We have a comparable fighting force to that of Satan. Well, one thing about this is, though, it's not the angels that control the warfare that's going on. And we have someone who helps us who is not a sleeping giant. He's awake all the time, and that's Jehovah God. And he's going to make sure that this battle or this warfare comes out to our favor. Now, there's give and take in the battles that take place, but in the end, the war, the victory will be ours. So Paul has a lot here to say about spiritual warfare. He talks about the enemy, but we also want to talk about the allies that God has given us. So we're looking here in Ephesians chapter 6, our text verses uh, talk about the enemy. This is verses 10 through 12. So let's stand once again, and we'll read these verses as we have for the past few weeks. You should be very familiar with them. Uh, Ephesians 6, verse number 10. Find, uh, put on the whole armor of God, 
Or finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places." Heavenly Father, thank you for the word that you've given us. We thank you, Lord, for the strength of our allies and the help that you give us in this spiritual battle. Help us to learn from your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Paul says here, uh, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And hidden in those words right there, the power of his might, is where we find these angelic armies, our helpers, our allies that are in this spiritual battle. Now, we've been uh, dealing with this issue in the past two messages. And one of the things that we've learned about the allies or these angelic armies is that they're largely misunderstood. Even though there are more than 500 references in the Bible to angels and, and these, uh, these powerful beings that are fighting on our side, uh, still there are, are many people who don't really understand what angels are all about and what they do. Uh, some people think, as we've discussed, that uh, angels are dead humans. Uh, other people think that there is no such thing as evil angels, that all there are is go- are good angels. Uh, some people think that the angels uh, have wings and they sit around on clouds all day day long singing songs and playing harps. So there's a lot of confusion about angels. So we discussed, first of all, in the message, the first message, the truth about angels. And we learned that angels are God's creation. They're of a different order than the creation of man. And all of the angels that were created were first created in holiness. Until there was one angel, an angel by the name of Lucifer, who was lifted up with pride. He decided that he wanted to be as God, and so he rebelled against God, and then he uh, brought billions of other angels with him in that rebellion. And those are the armies, the, the enemies that fight against us. But the good news is that we have more angels on our side, and there are billions of uh, elect angels of God that are helping us. Then the next thing that we talked about was the power of angels. As we say, both men and angels are God's creation, but the angels were created with more intelligence and with greater power than men. We don't have any strength at all in the spiritual realm, and we're physical beings, and so we can't fight spiritual warfare unless we have some help and unless we have uh, uh, the ability to do that. And so we do have help, help from the inside that comes from the strength of the Holy Spirit, and then on the outside from these, uh, these angelic armies that God uses to help us. It appears in the scriptures that there is a ranking system of angels. We know that there's at least one archangel. His name is Michael. And as far as we can determine from scripture, he is the most powerful of all of the angels. Then there are cherubim and there are seraphim. There are other designations like principalities and thrones and dominions. And all of those angels are more powerful than men. But of course, none of them is as powerful as God. And one of the very special things about this is, with all the power that the angels have, the Bible teaches us that one day, man, those that are saved, are going to be lifted up higher than the angels, and with God, we're going to rule and judge them. Well, tonight, we're going to move on into the third area of discussion. We've learned the truth about who the angels are, and we've talked about the power that they possess. And now, thirdly, this evening, I want to talk about the mission of angels. What has God told angels to do? I mean, what's their purpose and and how do these angels relate to men? Well, I want to say, first of all, 
and we should have picked this up along as we've been studying the subject, that the Bible strictly forbids the worship of angels. They're powerful, they're spiritual, they're mystifying, they're supernatural, but they're never to be worshipped. God didn't give them, them a mission to come to earth or to be, the, to be some kind of intermediaries between man and God. And so they're never to be worshipped. And one of the uh, tricks of the devil is to try to get men to believe in a false God and, and to believe the wrong things about God. And so there are lots of people that are interested in the worship of angels. And that's one of the methods that, that Satan uses. We learn that man is naturally religious. Man is naturally superstitious. And one of the things that man tends to do is he begins to worship things that he doesn't understand. Paul learned that as he went throughout his missionary journeys, traveled to different places in the Roman Empire that was, that was just filled with all sorts of strange gods. There were polytheistic people. Remember when, when Paul went to Athens and he was standing on Mars Hill, there were gods and idols made to, to everything that you could possibly imagine. Then we were talking last week as we were uh, studying 1 Corinthians that one of the things that people didn't understand was this whole thing about human reproduction. And so they began to worship uh, that process uh, of human reproduction. And in Corinth, there was a, a great temple that was built to the goddess Aphrodite. And the people worshiped there and went into all kinds of deviant sexual practices. Well, Satan is doing the same thing uh, among people with the worship of angels. And there are uh, some folks that are only too happy to oblige Satan because they do, in fact, worship angels. The Roman Catholic Church does this. Uh, they pray to angels. The New Age movement, I mean, that's a big part of their worship uh, to, to talk about angels. But the Bible very clearly teaches against it. We're not to worship angels. And the clearest rebuke that we have of this in the Bible comes in Revelation chapter 19. And there the Apostle John was given a vision. An angel came and and, uh, uh, declared that the Antichrist had been defeated, that his kingdoms had been brought down. And when he brought that wonderful message to John, then John was able to peer into the throne room of God. And he could see the rejoicing over this. But here's what he says in in Revelation 19, verse 10. He talks about this angel, and he says, I fell down at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So the Bible says and commands us to worship God. Friends, I believe it's blasphemy to pray to an angel. It's blasphemy to, to make an angel the object of worship. God told us never to do that. And I, and I have a suspicion that if God would allow it, that any time a person decided to bow down to an angel, that the angel would like nothing better than to strike that person dead right there. Angels don't want to be worshipped. They encourage us to worship God. But we're going to talk tonight about four things that are the mission of angels. First of all, the mission of angels is to proclaim God's message. And that's actually what the word angel means. It means a messenger. An angel is one who brings the message of God. Now, that's why there in Revelation, when Jesus is speaking to the seven churches of Asia, he refers to the pastors of those churches as angels. He means that they're messengers. Maybe you didn't know that, but I'm an angel because I'm giving you, I'm giving you a message. But what I really want to explain to you, though, is it's not the ordinary work of supernatural angels. I'm not talking about angels that are pastors of churches, but it's not the ordinary work of supernatural angels to proclaim the message of salvation. 
Now, God doesn't use angels to give a a, a message of salvation. He uses men to preach the gospel. And I think that there are a lot of us that we would really like it if God did use angels. I mean, that, that would suit us just fine, because instead of us having to go out on visitation and ask people to come to church and, and talk to them about the gospel, we could just say, God, send an angel to them, and let the angel do the work. But God hasn't decided to do, that, do it that way. He gives us that responsibility. We're the preachers. We're the messengers of the gospel. And so God has called men for that purpose. And there are a couple of good reasons why God does that. One of the reasons that God doesn't call angels to deliver the message of salvation is because if God put angels into pulpits and put angels on street corners, then we know the propensity of men to worship angels. And that's exactly what we would do. We would begin to worship these supernatural creatures. And so God doesn't put them here for the purpose of delivering the gospel message. Then another reason why God doesn't use angels is because angels have no personal testimony to give. They, they haven't been uh, given the grace of God like humans have been given. Uh, angels are not saved, and they haven't experienced the grace of God in that way. As a matter of fact, uh, the Apostle Peter said that the angels desire to look into this matter of salvation. They can't understand why God would decide to become a man. They don't understand why a God would step down to be ridiculed and to be, and to be spat upon, he, that he would condescend to be hated and to be crucified. They don't understand that. And after all, God didn't make redemption or make an atonement for angels. He didn't save angels. And so they wonder, perhaps, why would God save men? So angels would not have a very good personal testimony when it comes to salvation. They'd never experienced that. So God hasn't chosen that method. He's chosen us to do it. Well, in the tribulation period, though, there's coming a time when there is an angel who's called upon to deliver a gospel message. We find this in Revelation chapter 14. It says, And I saw an angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. That's in the tribulation period. We're not living in the tribulation. So we need not expect that God is going to write messages in the sky, and He's not going to send angels to do the job that He's given men to do. So we're the ones that witness the gospel of Christ, and angels do not now proclaim God's message of salvation. But even though the angels themselves don't proclaim the message, they do instruct men to proclaim the message. And this is what we see happened in the book of Acts, uh, verse number 26, when the angel appeared to Philip. Uh, It says there, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go to the south, which is the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Now, why did God send that angel to Philip to give him a message to go find this man who was on his way to Gaza? Well, I know the answer to that one. The reason that he did, because there was one of God's elect people, one of his people that was sitting in that chariot, reading the book of Isaiah. He couldn't understand what he was reading, and so God sent him a preacher. And so Philip was able to open up Isaiah and to explain to him all about Jesus, and that man got saved. Now, of all the people that were in Jerusalem at that time that had been worshiping or come there for worship, God sent an angel directly to Philip to preach to this one man that was leaving town and on his way back home because his heart had been prepared to receive the gospel. 
And that tells us that God knows where each and every one of his children are. He knows those that he's going to call. When he wants to call them to salvation, he does. When he's ready to save them, he'll send them someone with the gospel of Christ. Now, maybe you've experienced that. You know, you may, you may have been talking to someone and you begin to wonder, uh, does this person know about Jesus? And so you feel right then that you really ought to talk to them about how to be saved. Who knows, that, that could be an angel poking you in the side and telling you that you need to tell somebody about Jesus. So angels do deliver this kind of a message. They encourage us to give the gospel of Christ. Now we also have an example in Scripture where an unbeliever was told by an angel to go and seek out a Christian. Go find somebody that could give him the message of Christ. And that person was Cornelius. We read about him in Acts chapter 10. Uh, the Holy Spirit was working in Cornelius' heart. And while he was praying, there was an angel that appeared to him and gave him a message. It says, He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. So the angel told Cornelius to go and seek out Peter. Peter, of course, was a Christian. And Peter could give this man the message of Jesus. But we notice there once again that the angel appeared to this man. He didn't give him a gospel message. He didn't tell him the message himself. He said, you need to go find Peter. Go seek him out. And so it was a man there who gave the message. And so there are other examples all throughout Scripture where angels have come and delivered messages. Uh, the angel Gabriel came to Mary, told her that she was going to have a son, and her son would be the Holy One who would redeem Israel. And then that angel went and also appeared to Joseph and gave him instructions concerning the child. We also read about an angel that came and appeared to Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, and told him that his wife Elizabeth, who was barren, that she was also going to have a child. So God sends angels. He, he, they, they bring the messages of God, and that's one of the purposes, one of the missions of angels. Now, the second mission, uh, mission that I want to talk about tonight is that angels also provide for God's people. Angels provide for God's people. And I suppose one of the biggest mysteries that we have about angels is why are there angels in the first place? Why does God need angels? I mean, does he really have to have angels, and why did God create them? Now, God doesn't need a fighting force, and God could speak the word, and, and he could just destroy everything that's against us. Uh, God didn't have to have angels when he created the universe. God spoke the word, and everything came to an existence, so he didn't need them then. So why doesn't God just do this? Why doesn't he just speak the word and the devil disappears? He flicks him off like a booger and never worries about him. I mean, why does, he, why does he even deal with this whole issue of angels? And why doesn't he just make everything suddenly appear, all the provisions that we need? If you ask me that question in Sunday morning forum class, you'll get a blank stare. Because I don't know the answer to that question. I have no idea why God decided to do it that way other than to tell you this, that whatever God does, somehow, some way, it works out for his glory. God never does anything that in the end does not work out for his honor and his glory. So some way, uh, God decided, or somehow God decided that angels would most glorify him, and also they would bring him, or be the greatest, one of the greatest displays of his majesty. 
And that reminds us as well that God didn't need people, and yet he created us. You know, there's some people who think that, that God created people because he was lonely. He didn't have anybody to share everything that he had with, and so God created people because he was lonely. Well, God didn't create anybody because he was lonely. God is supremely happy in himself. In fact, God is the one who creates all emotions. He creates happiness. I mean, how could you ever say that God couldn't be happy? But God, uh, in his mercy and his love and his grace, he he made us in order to share uh, the, the goodness and riches of his grace. So... I don't know why God does all these things. I just know that that God has seen fit to glorify himself through that. So God has chosen angels to provide for us. We have the Holy Spirit who's living inside of us. The Holy Spirit comes and he ministers to the internal needs, the spiritual needs that we have. But God uses angels to give us the physical needs that we have. Now, angels will never come to us as internal spirits. Angels do not inhabit our bodies. Now, just like Satan can never inhabit the body of a Christian, so no angel could ever inhabit the body of a Christian. You know, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit's living inside of us, and there's not even enough room for the Holy Spirit in us in the same place. So there's not any room for the Holy Spirit and an angel. So as long as you're saved, which is forever, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and so you're not going to have angels come to inhabit your body. So they're external ministering spirits, and that's what Hebrews says. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be the heirs of salvation? So they're ministering to physical needs. You have an example of that in the Old Testament in the story about Elijah. God came to Elijah, or the angel rather, came to Elijah and ministered to his physical needs. We'll read about that. Let's turn over to First uh, Kings chapter 19. Take your Bible and turn to First Kings chapter 19. And uh, this is the story when Elijah was scared to death of Jezebel. She promised him that by the same time the next day that she was going to kill him. She was going to take Elijah and cut him to pieces just like he'd done to her prophets. This was after Elijah had won that great victory on Mount Carmel. He prayed to God, and God sent down fire from heaven and consumed his sacrifice. And then when that was done, Elijah commanded that all the prophets of Baal, all these worshipers of Baal that uh, Jezebel had sent there, he ordered them to be killed. And that made Jezebel very angry. And so that's why she said she was coming after Elijah, and she was going to kill him. So Elijah took off. I mean, he was terrified of her. As fast as he could go, he took off into the wilderness. Uh, He was gone about a day's journey and gone as far as he would go. He was exhausted, and I'm sure he's looking over his shoulder all the time to see who was following. So he couldn't go another step. And so he sat down underneath a juniper tree, and he said, God, just kill me right here. I can't go any further. And that's when an angel came to him. He fell asleep, and then an angel came. Now look at verse number 5 in 1 Kings 19. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, 
because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. So God put an angel there to supply Elijah's physical need. Now I want you to notice the next verse there because in the next verse it's not an angel that comes to Elijah but we have a pre-incarnate manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look in verse number 9. And he came thither into a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Now you see that? It says the word of the Lord came to him. And who is the word? Well, John tells us, doesn't he? In John 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So this was Jesus that came to Elijah. Now sometimes God will send an angel But there's never so much comfort as when the Lord Jesus Christ himself comes to you and takes care of your needs. You know, I'm glad that I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me and not an angel. Because the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit knows everything that we go through. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And that's because Jesus himself went through every temptation that we've gone through. He went through suffering. He he knows exactly what we're going through. And so he's able to help us. So I don't know how many times we miss this, but, but I'm sure that there are lots of times when God has sent angels to provide for us. We may not even be aware of it, that what we have actually came from an angel. Now we notice there in, in 1 Kings that the angel came and poked Elijah in the ribs and woke him up. I've seen some of that in church. <laughs> I've seen an angel back there sitting by Larry sometimes, poking him and getting him to wake up. But that's what angels do. They, they provide for God's people. So what else do angels do? Well, they have another mission. And the third mission of angels is to protect God's servants. Now, this is really where a lot of people get mixed up by false views about angels. Uh, lots of people want to know about guardian angels. Now, the Roman Catholic Church, as I've said, they're, they're really big on angels, uh, worshiping angels and praying to angels. And they also have a false view about the protection of angels. Now, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that every person has a guardian angel. And this angel is particularly assigned to you. And that angel, it's his responsibility to watch over you. I don't know if you've seen this commercial on television, but it's a pretty funny commercial. There's a guardian angel that uh, doesn't pay too much attention to what he's supposed to be doing. And uh, the person he's supposed to be guarding gets into all kinds of trouble because his angel keeps getting distracted. Well, I don't think that the Bible teaches that we have a guardian angel. And um, uh, the false view of guardian angels comes from Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. And this is where Jesus said, Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Now, from that one verse, the Roman Catholics have extracted their doctrine of the guardian angel. Well, if this is talking about guardian, angel, guardian angels, then, then these are angels that are in heaven. And it doesn't say, actually, that those angels are with us on earth. So, the, the Bible doesn't teach that we have a guardian angel, not one guardian angel. Now, this will give you comfort because I think that the Bible teaches that we actually have thousands of guardian angels. Not just one assigned to us, but there may be even thousands that God has assigned to every believer. You remember when Jesus was about to be taken in the Garden of Gethsemane, that uh, Peter was going to protect Jesus. So he drew out his sword and and he cut off the the, uh, ear of the high priest's servant. 
And you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, Peter, put up that sword. He said, don't you think that I could pray to my father and right now he could send me 12 legions of angels? You know who Jesus is? Everybody know who Jesus is? Jesus is the son of God, isn't he? And you know what John says about us? He says, beloved, now we are we the sons of God. Now are we the sons of God. And that tells me that as Jesus was the Son of God and had thousands of angels for protection, we have them as well. Angels are our allies, and that's what we're talking about. Now, I I, uh, have felt the presence of angels when I drive. And some of you probably think I need the presence of angels when I drive. And uh, everybody else needs them too when I'm driving. I remember when when, uh, Dalton got his driver's license, I told him, be sure and tell me so I know to stay off the road when you're driving. But we may have guardian angels, you know, that, that are helping us out when we're driving down the road. There have been times when I pulled out in traffic and I didn't see somebody coming. And it's just a miracle that I didn't get killed. Probably a lot of times. And who knows, a, a guardian angel, uh, thousands of guardian angels could have been could protected me right at that moment. I remember talking to Frank Tharp. And I don't have a lot of angel stories to tell. But I was talking to him about some of the missions that he flew in World War II. And he told me that there were times when he had this special sense of protection that was around him. He could have died at any moment in some of those missions that he flew. But he felt like somebody was protecting him. So I believe that God does that. Then, of course, we have the story uh, we mentioned so many times about Elisha. When uh, his servant uh, came in and all panicked and told Elisha, he said, Out there, there's the, the Syrians have surrounded us. They're going to kill us. And there, and there were thousands of Syrians out there that had surrounded them. And Elisha just said, Lord, open up his eyes. And the Lord did. And there all around them also was a vast army, the host of angelic armies that was a chariot of fire, that was a ring around them that protected them. So God has all of these angels out there, I think thousands of them, that protect us from harm. You may remember the story of Daniel when he was thrown into the lion's den. That Daniel was thrown in there and those hungry lions were waiting for their next meal. And here's what Daniel said when he was in the lion's den. He said, My God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouth that they have not hurt me. Now later they took some of the servants of the devil and they threw them into the same lion's den. And the Bible says that before their bodies even hit the floor of the den that those lions devoured them. So it makes a huge difference whether you're a child of God or not because you have the angels that are protecting you. So maybe uh, not really one or two angels, I don't think, but thousands of them. So the mission of angels is to proclaim God's message, to provide for God's people, and to protect God's servants. And now finally, we look at one other mission of angels, and that is to project God's saints. What do I mean about projecting God's saints? Have you ever wondered how... Your spirit gets to heaven when you die. If my spirit was to live my, leave my body right now, how would it get into heaven? I have no idea where heaven is. I've never been there. Don't have a road map. I'd be completely lost if my spirit left my body. And it'd be walking around here or floating around here, whatever. How in the world am I going to get to heaven? Well, I think that's what the angels do. That's their job. The angels are sort of like heavenly postmen. Somebody drops you in a box... And they pick you up and they deliver you to heaven. Now, the only difference is, Leno and them, is they always get the right address. That They're always going to the right place. So it's the angels that carry us there. You know, that's what Jesus said about Lazarus when he died. Now, he was a, a poor beggar, didn't have a cent to his name, but he was a child of the king. 
And God said, or Jesus said, the angels came. This is in Luke 16, 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. So the angels do that. They project us into heaven. They carry us there. Now, I'm not somebody who, you know, puts a lot of stock in, in deathbed stories. But I sometimes wonder about the comments that people make when they're about to die. I've been to uh, the deathbeds of a lot of people in my time. When I was just a child, uh, my dad used to take me on all the sick visitations that he went on. And when folks were dying, a lot of times I was right there in the room when that was taking place. And I've heard uh, a lot of people that were dying that said things like, I can hear angels singing, or I hear singing, or I, I, I can see angels. And they said things like that. Now, I don't know if there's a natural explanation for that or not. Uh, perhaps there is. But uh, I've heard lots of saved people say things like that at the moment of their death. But, you know, I've also been in the room with a lot of people who weren't saved. And I've never heard a person who wasn't saved ever say, I hear singing. I've never heard them say, I see angels. Never heard anything like that. Now, I've heard, heard and seen a lot of stories when people grip the bed and, and they hang on to every last breath. They're completely terrorized when they die. So I don't know. Maybe God sends us the angels at death, and maybe he allows us to have that glimpse in, in those last moments to comfort us, to know that the angels will take us into heaven when we die. I don't, you know, God does so many wonderful things. I think it's entirely possible that he could do that as well. So we don't have anything to fear when we die because the angels will come and they will introduce us into our heavenly home. So that's the resume of our allies. Lots of good things that they do for us. They're ministering spirits. They're powerful. They're here to help us. We're in this great cosmic battle and it's a battle that we can win because God has given us the help that we need. Now, one last statement that I have for you tonight. Uh, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but the Bible says that we have more help. So thank God for this. We have more than flesh and blood to fight on our side. It's not a physical warfare, so flesh and blood won't help us. So thank the Lord we have more than flesh and blood. Friends, I believe that if God allowed us to have our spiritual eyes opened at this very moment, that we would see this entire room filled with thousands of angels. There are heavenly allies, and that's the resume of our allies. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the wonderful things that we read from your word and the assurances that you give us and the great blessings that you bring into our lives. We thank you, Lord, that we have all of this help, and we know that all we need to do is to call upon you, and you'll provide everything that we need. Strengthen us, Lord, for the fight that we're in. And these next few weeks, as we talk about spiritual warfare... May you show us, Lord, how we need to uh, all the time be fighting and struggling and never lay aside our weapons that you've given us to use. Bless in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's please.